Amen. All right. Hey, uh, check this out. Apparently, uh, last week, Bill Wimberly had a rough week. Is he here, Bill? Praise God you're here, because this was a rough one, okay? And it, apparently, it started when he was in line at Burger King, and he was in a hurry during his lunch break, and this teenager was in front of him there, and he was holding up the whole line, and he was ranting and raving to the manager about how cold his french fries were. You know, act like a brat. And so, well, Bill, he couldn't take it anymore, so he decided to set this teenager straight. He says, excuse me? <laughs> you think you got it bad, french fries? Hey, listen, in my day, we never even went out to eat. In fact, the only time we went out to eat was when somebody died. It was called a potluck. And then we, we had no such thing as microwaves to heat up your goofball french fries. If you wanted to heat something up, we had to use a stove or build a fire. And then if we wanted something as simple as popcorn, we had to use that stupid jiffy pop thing and shake it on the stove forever like an idiot, and it still burn it black. And then this internet thing you guys got, we didn't have that stuff. If we wanted to know something, we had to go to the library and look it up ourselves in the card catalog. You know, you know what that is. And, and this email stuff, we didn't have that either. We actually had to write somebody a letter in pen, in cursive, and then you had to walk all the way across the street, put it in the mailbox, and it took a whole week to get there. And this MP3 stuff, these downloads, we didn't have that. If you wanted free music, you had to wait around all day to tape it off the radio, and then the DJ would usually talk over the beginning of it and mess the whole thing up. And you want to talk about hardships? We didn't have this fancy stuff like call waiting. If you were on the phone and somebody else called, you got a busy signal just like everybody else. And we didn't have caller ID boxes either. Uh, when the phone rang, you had no idea who it was. It could be your boss. It could be your mom. A collections agent. You didn't know. You just had to pick up the phone and take your chances. And as far as these fancy PlayStation 3D games and all those graphics, all, all we had was Atari 2600 with games like Space Invaders and Asteroids. Your guy was a little square. You had to use your imagination. Okay? And then there was no multiple screens or levels. It was just one screen forever. And you can never win. The game just kept getting harder and harder and faster and faster until you died. Just like in real life, buddy. And you want to talk about dangerous? There was no such thing as car seats. Mom just threw you in the front seat and you hung on for life. And there were no airbags. If a car was coming your way, at the last minute you get this safety arm thing across the chest. And if you hit your head on the dashboard, it was still your fault because you called shotgun in the first place. I... I'm sorry. Is, is my order ready? <laughs> How many guys would say Bill had a rough week there? You know what I'm saying? And praise God he's here today enjoying the freedom of doing so, okay? But uh, I don't know. But seriously, folks, uh, did you know, believe it or not, I think I've actually found a day that's probably even worse than that one, okay? And it goes something like this, see if you agree. You see, you're driving down the road here in Vegas, okay? And you're in heavy traffic, and then all of a sudden, your whole family disappears right before your eyes, right there in the car, okay? And then you notice it's happened to the other drivers in the car, in the other vehicles around you, and you're still reeling from the shock of all when, when the cars start to collide with each other as driverless vehicles start slamming into other vehicles. And so you swerve to avoid one yourself. You land in a ditch just as a plane flying overhead come out of McCarran with no pilot, smashes into a high-rise downtown, catches it on fire. Just then your radio pops on with a national news report declaring that millions of people around the planet are suddenly missing. All of a sudden, you see your spouse's Bible right there on the front seat. And it dawns on you your family was right after all when they kept telling you about this rapture of the church thing and then to your horror you realize that you have been left behind and you will be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation that is coming upon this world and folks we saw before the seven-year tribulation that is not a party that is an outpouring of god's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet Jesus Christ, we saw before, said this is going to be a time of greater horror this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And that unless God shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath. He's a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, as we saw before, he gives us so many warning signs to let us know when it's getting near. The seven-year tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's why we went through our study uh, called The Final Countdown. Ten signs given by God to wake us up before it's too late. If we're not saved, we need to get saved. If we are saved, you need to get motivated because this is your one shot to do something significantly, hopefully, out of love and gratefulness for Jesus. Amen? Okay? And even though that was a 50-week study, who's counting? I am, Don. A 50-week study that we finished last year sometime. Uh, so much has gone on, guys, in the last eight months or so concerning Bible prophecy. I, I, you know what? I better give you an update. Because <laughs> it's happening at such an uh, escalated rate, okay? And that's what we're going to do. There's no time to waste, so let's get into it. The first update we're going to see on the final countdown study we went through is none other than the Jewish people. The Jewish people. 
okay? Now this is huge because as we saw before, one of the first and foremost, most important prophetic events on God's end time calendar is the Jewish people. In other words, if you want to know how close we're getting to the end of times, okay, then you need to pay attention to Israel, you need to pay attention to the Jewish people. Why? Because scripturally, Old Testament, New Testament, if you look at it from God's point of view, Jerusalem, Israel, is the center of the earth. This is where the line of the Messiah started. This is where King David ruled. This is where Jesus, the actual Messiah, died on the cross. This is where the end times culminate outside of Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon. And this is where Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming. And then he literally rules and reigns there in Jerusalem during the Millennial Kingdom. It's all in Jerusalem dealing with the Jewish people. And that's what we see there, okay? The Jewish people also, the Bible says, as we saw, listen will rebuild their last day's temple during this time, listen, where the actual Antichrist will actually go up into that temple and declare himself to be God, okay? That's another thing that is getting that close, even closer than it was last time we talked about it. But don't take my word for it. Uh, let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, if you find 1 Thessalonians, what do you do? Keep going, yeah, right? Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, dealing with the man of lawlessness, or in other words, the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. What can you expect when this guy pops back up on the scene? Well, Paul's going to tell us, okay? And uh, he's going to tell us uh, not just his character, but what he's going to do. Let's take a look if it has anything to do with the Jewish temple, and it does, okay? Uh, stall enough time, when you get there, say move. Move, that's right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. Concerning the what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Okay? We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Oh, no, you missed it. No, no, no, no, no. He says, don't let anybody what? Deceive you in any way. Why? Because that day is not going to come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. He is the man doomed to destruction. Don't listen to him. Don't follow him unless you want to be doomed. He will, listen, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that, he even goes to this point, he what? He sets himself up where? In God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay. And folks, we saw before, this text tells us that in the last days, the Antichrist is going up into the rebuilt Jewish temple. Halfway into the seven-year tribulation, he's going to declare himself to be God. Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 11, as we also saw before, clearly talks about this. It's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple. And so here's the point. Do we see any signs of the Jewish people getting ready to rebuild? Listen, it's not just rebuild a temple. This temple has to be in place for the actual Antichrist to go up into to, to say, hey, I'm God, and commit the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about. Well, yeah, folks, there's all kinds of evidence. As we saw before, listen, the plans for the temple are already made. The priests have already been trained. The sacrifices have been instituted once again. The stone altar has been made, okay, for the sacrifices. The articles have been reprodu uh, reproduced. And the ashes for a red heifer that are needed to cleanse the temple, it's all here right now. In fact, it's so much all here right now, it's sitting there waiting for the right moment to kick it into gear. They're actually putting out promotional videos saying, hey, come on, check it out. You can see it with your own eyes. Like this promotional video from the Temple Institute shares. Let's take a look at that. Jerusalem, eternal city of God. The very word is a symphony to the ear for all to whom the Bible is precious. And at the heart of Jerusalem lies its secret, the holy temple on Mount Moriah, place of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, called by Isaiah, the house of prayer for all nations. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have prayed to return to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, and to rebuild the Holy Temple. Today, we have returned. The city of Jerusalem is built up, a thriving, vibrant city. But what of Jerusalem's secret? What of the dream? For over two decades, the Temple Institute has been recreating the biblically appointed vessels to be used in the Holy Temple in preparation for its rebuilding. Tens of sacred vessels have been completed, 
These vessels and priestly garments, on exhibit in the Temple Institute's Treasures of the Holy Temple exhibition in Jerusalem's Old City, are not copies or replicas, but are actually fit to be used according to strict biblical standards in the New Holy Temple. Original source materials such as gold, silver, and copper, and the original sizes and measurements are used exclusively. Each year, 100,000 visitors come to see, learn about, and experience the promise of the Holy Temple. A visit to the Temple Institute is the highlight of a trip to Israel, for in the presence of these vessels, one can feel that the time of the redemption is indeed drawing close. The golden menorah, the golden table of the showbread, the incense altar, and tens of other sacred vessels have been painstakingly and precisely recreated. Silver trumpets, Levitical harps and lyres are ready to be heard once again in the streets of Jerusalem. The priestly garments, including the uniform of the high priest, the ephod, the breastplate and the golden crown, the result of years of intense research and the efforts of Israel's finest artists and craftsmen, are on display for all to see. The Temple Institute provides specially trained guides who explain the history of the Holy Temple, the nature of the divine service, and the significance of the Holy Temple for all mankind. Huh? Hey, forget Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? And certainly don't go to North Dakota. No, not offense to that place, but uh, I've been there. It was kind of cold. Okay. But uh, don't you guys, I mean, you're going to take vacation. Why don't you just come on over and check it out? I mean, the Jewish people are inviting us right now today. Hey, don't you want to come over? Come, come see how close we are. What's the significance there? To rebuilding the actual temple that the actual Antichrist will actually go up into and actually say, worship me, I am God. That's how close we're getting. In fact, listen to this. The minister of housing and construction in Israel right now is calling for the construction of the third temple. And I came across this. Even the people, they have such a high expectations. Did you know, listen, that the landlords over there right now are preparing contracts for the arrival of the Messiah, who they believe is going to be the impetus of building this temple. Listen to this, okay? Uh, many in Jerusalem are doing rental contracts that are including an unusual stipulation that when the Messiah arrives, tenants must move out immediately so the landlord can move in and enjoy the ensuing paradise. Check this out. Many Jerusalem residents believe not only that the Messiah will return, but his arrival is imminent. So imminent that they have taken legal precautions to ensure they can return to Jerusalem immediately upon his return. Because the owners, generally religious Jews, are Jews living abroad, and they're concerned, listen, that when they arrive, the Messiah, when he arrives, he will build the third temple, turn Israel into a paradise, listen, and they will be stuck waiting for their apartment tenants' contracts to run out before they can move back. Come on, he's here. Here, I'll just let you go with your, from your lease. They're so expecting it any time now that they're going ahead and being proactive about it, putting it in the rental contracts. As soon as he gets here and builds that temple, all bets are off. I'm moving back in. That's how close they are, folks, to building this temple, okay? But that's not all. Rabbi Friedman, he is the director of the school that is right now, as we sit here this weekend, he is right now training hundreds, not dozens, he is training hundreds of priests for services in the temple. He made this interesting statement. He said, there are 10 studies about the location of the Ark of the Covenant. We read them and studied all of them and reached the conclusion that it's buried in the tunnels under the Temple Mount. Quote, when the day comes, we will get to it. In other words, nobody is going to stop us from building this temple not even financing. Did you know that they're actually working on the financing for the temple? Check this out. This is from an Ethiopian Jew. He is suing Israel's major banks because, quote, they're trying to deny him the loans to build the third holy temple. He said this. He says, when they arrived in the country in 1991, quote, we had tears in our eyes and we kissed the land when we arrived. But later we learned that the temple was not yet rebuilt. Listen to what he said. He said, but now God has revealed himself to me and placed upon me the responsibility to rebuild the temple. 
I've been collecting donations for this purpose, and I've been facing opposition uh, from authorities. The banks are not allowing me to open up accounts to receive donations, much less provide loans. So listen, he is seeking damages in the amount of $35 million, which he said will go to rebuild the temple. One way or another, whether it's through donations or they're going to get sued for uh, trying to put a stop to it, they're going to have the money for it. That's going on, folks, right now as we speak. In fact, right now as we speak, they're getting so close to it, they're even putting out not just advertisements to come on over and visit and, and check it out, see how close we are. They're actually putting out commercials saying they're that close to building the temple. Here's just one of them. Let's take a look at that. No wonder Bill was so upset with that guy. You're worried about cold french fries? Are you kidding me? These guys are ready to build a temple, right? And again, what's the, what's the context? This is the actual temple that Paul prophesied. John did too in Revelation 11. Prophesied nearly 2,000 years ago. Here's what you have to have in place in order for the Antichrist to go up into to put an end to the sacrifice and say, worship me as God. They're ready to build that thing now. That's how close we're getting. And so the point for you and I, we don't know the day nor the hour, but listen, if that happens during the seven-year tribulation, and it's almost here, then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation? Amen? Anybody ready for some rapture practice? Okay, it's getting that close. But speaking of the Antichrist, that brings us to the, uh, the second update on the final countdown study. And that is, of course, the Antichrist himself, okay? And the Bible is very clear. This guy obviously is, uh, you don't want to follow him. He's doomed to destruction, Paul says. But you don't want to follow this guy because the first thing he's going to do, according to the Bible, unfortunately, is he is going to slaughter two-thirds of the Jewish people. Believe it or not, as horrible as it is, folks, the world is headed for another Jewish holocaust. And that's what we saw before in the book of Zechariah. Let's take a look at that passage there. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds, how many? Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third, God says, I'm going to bring into the fire. I'm going to refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And this passage, actually, as we've seen it before, actually gives us some good news and some bad news. The good news is on the back half there, the Jewish people will eventually lose their spiritual blindness that Paul talks about, the temporary blindness in Romans chapter 11, and they finally get right with God. He now is our God. We got it now. But the sad news is, and the bad news is, two-thirds of them are going to be struck down by the Antichrist himself. Okay, and as we saw before, if that were to happen today, that's roughly in one shot about five million people another Jewish Holocaust. And so the question for you and I today, the question is, is there any sign of another Jewish Holocaust, a horrible event like that, ever happening again in our lifetime? I mean, come on, especially after what Hitler did wasn't that long ago in World War II, could, could the world really fall for that in such a short amount of time? Yes, in fact, folks, this just came out uh, last week. Anti-Semitism, listen, is not just on the rise, it is approaching an all-time high around the planet once again. Let's take a look at those actual stats. And uh, this is from the Holocaust Global Awareness uh, Group. 
And just I want to point out a couple things from you. This graphic over here, believe it or not, it says 54%, and this is of the world, 54% of people have heard about the Holocaust. Now flip that figure around. You know what that means? For those of you hooked on math, get the calculator. 46% of people on the planet have never heard of the Holocaust. Can you believe that? Half of the planet hasn't, almost half the planet hasn't even heard of the Holocaust. Now add to that, 32% of people who have heard about the Holocaust, the other half of the planet, 32% think it's either a myth or it's been greatly exaggerated. What? Oh, but it gets even worse. You break it down, over one-fourth of the planet right now holds anti-Semitic views, okay? And another 35% believe that Jews have too much power in the business world. It's the exact same lie that's being repeated again that happened in Germany, across the world. 75% of the worst areas say that people hate the Jews because of the way they behave. And one guy said, it is hard to believe that so much of the world is anti-Semitic. Well, I agree, it's horrible, okay? But it shouldn't be, if you will, with all due respect, too much of a shock because the Bible clearly says it's gonna happen again in the last days. We're seeing it happen, okay? Shock or not, okay? And some Jews see shocking similarities between pre-World War II Europe and when? today in other words they admit it's being repeated on us they should know okay and in fact in one of the countries this this blew my mind away i just got this a few days ago uh greece of all places 69 percent of the population admits to anti-jewish bias okay in the whole country that's not the half of it. listen to this this renewed hatred of the jews seems to stem from a severe e economic crisis they're getting blamed for it again okay now the golden, pay attention to this. this, this blew me away. The Golden Dome Party in Greece places the blame squarely on the shoulders of the Jewish people and it's expected this year, listen, that the Greece will elect its first neo-Nazi politician, a member of the Golden Dome Party, and he will sit on the European Union Parliament. Wait a second, let, if you know your Bible, let's put this thing together because this is mind-blowing. Um, the Antichrist comes out of the revived Roman Empire, like a European Union thing, and he hates the Jewish people and he wants to kill two-thirds of them. I wonder if we just saw with our own eyes the actual name of the actual political party, the Golden Dawn Party, that this guy's going to be a part of. Isn't that wild? It's all happening. The Antichrist will arise, seek to kill two-thirds of the Jewish people. The planet is once again ripe for it in our lifetime, exactly like the Bible says. In fact, I kid you not, the Antichrist is also working hard at the next generation of kids that when they grow up, they're going to help pull the trigger. This blew me away. This is one of those moments in ministry where I'm going, I'm not alone in this office. I was excited. And that God is the one who's really doing the leading and guiding of what to study and what to preach on for us here at Sunrise. Because I kid you not, I was literally typing this information out on anti-Semitism. I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm not just typing, I'm typing this part of my notes on anti-Semitism. I look over at my other laptop and in comes an email from a guy in Maine as I'm typing on the anti-Semitism. And he shared with me this video. And this video he sent me is a children's program, a children's program that is brainwashing little kids to kill all the Jews. Here's what he sent me. Let's take a look. Oh, 
ان شاء الله لما تكبري لما تخلي كلهم كلهم كلهم اه طيب as i'm typing on this that comes in now personally i thought barney was pretty bad okay but that b is in a class all of his own a children's program brainwashing the kids saying kill all the jews all the jews good grow up with that attitude Made, you, made me think this. Maybe we just saw, believe it or not, unfortunately, one of the actual kids that are going to grow up and actually take part of the Antichrist slaughter of two-thirds of the Jewish people. And again, here's the point, folks, for you and I here today. If all this happens during the seven-year tribulation, then how much closer is the rapture of the church, which takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation? We're getting that close okay but that's still all the second thing we're going to finish up today about the antichrist is he's going to cause people to worship his image to worship his image and the false prophet is going to help with that deceit let's take a look at that passage there revelation chapter 13 verse 14 to 15 says this because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast the antichrist he the false prophet deceived the inhabitants of the earth and here's what he did he ordered them to set up an image and honor the beast, the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He seemingly came back to life. Okay? He was given power to give breath to this image of the first beast, the Antichrist, so that, listen, it could what? What could this image do? It could speak and it could cause all who refuse to worship the image to what? To be killed. Okay, so it's not just an image, he's got to do certain things. And we saw before, this is the passage where the false prophet is going to use his deceit around the world to specifically worship the Antichrist image, or, and if you don't, the penalty is what? You're going to die, you're going to be killed, okay? And again, it has something to do with the Antichrist's death or appearing to die and things of that nature, and so you need to worship his image in honor of him and what he's done, okay? But the question is, do we see any technology on the planet right now that can actually help create, listen, not just an image of the Antichrist, but an image that could talk with people, an image that could interact with people, an image that actually could, if you will, give an order to somebody's death if they don't worship like they're supposed to. Yeah. In fact, we saw before, folks, that image is called 3D holograms. And that's just one technology. I'm going to give you a couple different ones uh, today. As we saw before, these 3D holograms are not only starting to be used, but they're starting to become commonplace around the world. They're being used in news broadcasts. They're being used in concerts. They're being used in concerts of dead singers coming back to life. What's the text with the Antichrist? Now, we saw before last time with uh, Tupac Shakur, okay, he came back to life. And people were freaking out. But did you know they recently had Michael Jackson come back to life? He didn't see that. Watch this. It's all an image. Justin Timberlake may have taken home top honors, but Jennifer Lopez and... Michael Jackson stole How? the show at last night's Billboard Awards in Las Vegas. The big showstopper was this. Michael Jackson, or a hologram of Michael Jackson, just rocked the house. The late king of pop, or the hologram of the late king of pop, performing slave to the rhythm of the five-piece band and 16 live dancers. Hmm. That hologram took a half a year to plan, choreograph, and to develop. Man, that looks pretty real to me. Like he's right there. That just happened, by the way. Do you guys remember his funeral? Do you remember the response of people? Could have fooled me. It was almost like people were worshiping him. Well, hey, now we have the technology to bring him back to life again. And so maybe you can continue to worship him like you did before. Interesting. But if you think about it, if our passage is going to come to pass that we just saw about the image of the Antichrist, uh, it's, it, it's not just a technology that's going to be used on entertainers. It specifically has to be used by political leaders. Okay? Because that's who he is. He is a political leader, a satanically inspired world political leader. And so that's the question. Do any political leaders around the world use this technology? Yes, they do. As we saw before, uh, uh, uh, Prince Charles used it, but even recently, the Prime Minister of Turkey used a huge one. And the crowd went nuts over it. Let's take a look at that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
hanımefendiler ve efendiler. İstanbul'dan güzel İzmir'i en kalbi muhabbetlerimle selamlıyorum. İzmir'in tüm ilçelerine, İzmir'deki tüm kardeşlerine buradan selam ve sevgilerimle oluyoruz. İzmir Büyükşehir Bölümü'ne başlayalım. Wow. Looks like people are pretty excited about that image of that political leader. It almost sounds like they were worshiping the guy or something. I tell you what. Oh, but, th but that's not all, folks. It's, uh, uh, that's not the half of it. As we saw before, the Antichrist has a cohort. We just read the text, and that cohort is the false prophet, okay? And he goes around, deceives the whole world into worshiping this image of the Antichrist. And, uh, and so that's the, the, the issue, okay? Wonder of wonders is not just the Antichrist using this technology. It's also the false prophet. Who's the false prophet? The false prophet is a world religious leader who deceived the planet into worshiping the Antichrist. Now, here's the point, uh, folks. Uh, can anybody guess what the new pope has been doing? You know, a world religious leader? Well, he's not only going around the world right now, and Lord willing, we'll get to that in great detail later. He's not only going around the world right now as we speak, forming a one world religion, okay? But he's also using the same technology to make these global religious broadcasts even in 3D. Check this out. On the 27th of April, the whole world will meet in Rome in St. Peter's Square to canonize the most beloved popes of the 20th century. The Vatican Television Center, in partnership with Sky, presents an unprecedented event in 3D, televised on Sky and distributed to cinemas around the world by Nexo Digital. It will be like being there, thanks to the force of the 3D pictures. The canonization ceremony of Pope John XXIII and Pope John Paul II in 3D, officiated by Pope Francis Sunday the 27th of April in cinemas around the world in 3D with free admittance. Well, I'm glad at least Tom is free. I, you know, at least it doesn't come with the strings attached like with the Antichrist. You're going to die if you don't show up. Whoa. Now, what's going on? You've got to put this together. We see in our lifetime a world religious event is being broadcast by a world religious leader in Rome in 3D for the whole world to partake in at the same time. I like what one guy said this. He says, could it be that we're seeing the Vatican testing the actual equipment that will be used for the Antichrist's arrival? Interesting. Oh, by the way, they just came out with another technology. It's called the Leia display. For all of you uh, Star Wars fans, that's, it's literally named after Princess Leia. And uh, uh, it can beam 3D holographic images literally into thin air. And they beam it on a cloud of water vapor. Check it out yourself. Okay, the Leia display. And so I got to think, well, hey, if the Antichrist really wants to make a big splash around the world, then maybe he can use that technology to shoot an image of himself up into the sky in the clouds so the whole world could see him simultaneously and worship him it's all coming together folks in our lifetime we're getting that close okay but maybe the antichrist wants to make it a more personal approach uh with his image i mean you're supposed to worship him worship is a private thing right it's a choice okay and so maybe listen follow with me on this one maybe we'll each have our own robot or statue kind of thing or with, with, with, its, with his image on it, or, or maybe we'll have these robot slash statue things with his image on it stationed around the world in public places to ensure when the bells go off, so to speak, you're there at the appropriate time to worship him like you're supposed to. Now, if you think that's crazy, believe it or not, folks, it's like he's covering all the bases. And maybe he's going to use the, uh, all of them together. But we now have that technology. They're called Sosibots. And Sosibots listen, can not only interact with you intelligently, in real time, carry on a conversation, monitor your mood as you're looking at it, but you can customize them with any face you want to put on them, which of course would include the Antichrist. Check this out. This disembodied robot can identify you in a crowd, mimic human emotions, and follow you around the room with its eyes. Plus, it's programmable to display any face, even your own. Expressions and features are easy to modify and control. With voice recognition, facial tracking, lip syncing, and speech synthesis in more than 20 languages, anyone can converse freely with our chattiest robot. While Sasebot has applications at airports, malls, science museums, and theme parks, 
Engineer.Dart hopes potential clients will see its possibilities as the ultimate telepresence device thanks to its ability to recognize people and their moods, as well as convey subtle human-like expressions using any face the client wants to program it to display. And what is that, uh, socio bot? <laughs> this is not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, that is really. Oh, it's Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Oh, oh, hey, hey, we're out here in public. It's switched to the Antichrist. Hey, Bob, better start worshiping him or he's going to kill us. Just like that, you can change the image. And did you catch all the features on this robot? Uh, it can only have any face and image you want, that's a given. But it can recognize your face. It could follow you around the room. Listen, it could detect even what kind of mood you're in, you know, in case you're trying to fake the worship. It could give an order to say, you failed, you're dead. And where do they want to put them? They want to put them in homes and malls and airports and banks. Hey, I, I, I wonder if you're going to have to worship the Sociobot's image in order to take money out of the bank to buy and sell. Now, what's really weird about this as we close is it sounds eerily similar to what the early church went through with Caesar worship. Okay? They had to make a public acknowledgement of worship of a man, his statue, Caesar, and say that he was God or you were going to die. Caesar worship was made almost universal, was made universal and compulsory in the early church for every race and nation in the empire except for the Jews. On a certain day in the year, every Roman citizen had to come to the temple of Caesar, had to burn a penchant of incense to Caesar, his statue or image, okay, and say the words, Caesar is Lord. And when a person did that in public, he was given a certificate to guarantee that he had done so and he could continue on living out comfortably as a Roman citizen with all of its benefits. Now listen to this. Those that didn't were sentenced to die. They were tortured. They became food for the lions. And guess who that was? The Christians who refused to do that. It's almost like it's being repeated. So here's my point. For the first time in mankind's history, we got all the bases covered when it comes to the image of the Antichrist. Whether it's the image of the Antichrist on a global scale, making it a global religious announcement or event, even in the sky, even in 3D, we got that. Or maybe it's more personal with a public statue image slash robot thing that comes around or stationed around throughout the world in public places to ensure that if you worship it correctly and it can tell, you can continue on buying and selling. But if you don't, he'll give the order and you will die. This isn't science fiction 50 years from now. It's already here. And if this takes place during the seven-year tribulation, then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior? Amen? Folks, we are getting that close. And that's why I believe out of love, God's once again given us these signs. Okay, in our final countdown study, specifically these updates on the Jewish people and the Antichrist to show us that the tribulation is near. We better get motivated, and if we're not saved, we better make sure we are. And this is why Jesus said this. He said, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, what do you do? Run for the hills and freak out? Are you kidding me, Christian? Jesus Christ is coming back to get us. This is a sign he's coming back to get us. So you need to stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so again, as always, the point is this, folks. If you're here today as a Christian, and you're not doing anything for Jesus, after all that he's done for you, shame on you. This is the one time, the short time that we need to get busy working together, being used of him to hopefully and prayerfully do something for him to say thank you. Thank you for saving me from hell. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you are going to hell. If you don't accept Jesus as your savior. And so I invite you to heed these warnings, heed these signs before it's too late. In fact, Jesus, he even gives a second warning. He says, unfortunately, most people aren't going to listen on the planet. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is what Jesus said. It's a challenge from him. He said this, enter through the what? Narrow gate. Why? Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many 
enter through it, the bulk of the planet. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And how many? Only a few find it. So according to Jesus, unfortunately, the bulk of the planet is not going to listen to him, is not going to listen to these signs. They are going to wait, unfortunately, until it's too late, and they're going to be catapulted into the seven-year uh, tribulation to their own destruction. They're going to continue on this broad road that leads to destruction. They're going to think maybe what some people think today. Hey, I go to church services. I must be a Christian. Hey, I try to be a good person. I must be a Christian. I had some water splashed on me one time. I must be a Christian. That's the broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus said there's only going to be a few that escape that lie and truly surrender to him so as to escape going to hell. We'll close in prayer after this. There is no hope. This generation will fill hell quicker than any other generation we're so corrupt unless God in mercy fills us. He speaks about few finding eternal life. He's talking about those, um, those who profess His name. Among those who call Jesus Lord, few of them will find eternal life. Nobody purposes to go to hell. They all think to get right with God before the end. And most men make shipwreck. Few there be that find it. You mean all those many people, they just lived the life all hell-bent, they, they wanted to go to hell, expected to go to hell, men don't expect to go to hell. And most go. Because we already know these people consider themselves disciples, and they call Jesus Lord, Lord. But their life is not marked by the will of God. And so to sum this up, this is what's being said. Depart from me. Those of you who considered yourself my disciples and even emphatically declared me to be Lord, but you did not commune with me and you lived as though I never gave you a law to obey. I just described American Christianity. Even though they said, Lord, Lord, we did many mighty works in your name and went to church every Sunday. He dismisses them as evildoers because they did not have the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It also means that there are many church-going people who believe that they are saved because they once prayed to receive Jesus. Not realizing that the proof of the genuineness of that prayer is perseverance in faith and holiness. He who endures to the end will be saved, not those who endure halfway to the end and then abort. I believe my ministry would be a failure if you came to this church five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and then went to hell for all eternity. And I would agree. I'm not here to cast doubt, but I'll tell you one thing. You can get all kind of things wrong in life, but don't get wrong whether or not you truly surrender to Jesus Christ. The penalty is forever. Don't make that mistake today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. 
Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, 
and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.